Hello, and welcome to the Renaissance Podcast. Thank you for joining us to worship and learn more about God as we all pursue Him together as a community. For more podcasts and services about past weeks, or to join us online on Sunday mornings, check out the Church at Home page at rendecatur.org. Or come connect with us in person on Sunday mornings in downtown Decatur. Now, enjoy the message. my privilege to be able to do this to you today, or for you today. On the next day, when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met him. And behold, a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. And behold, a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth and shatters him and will hardly leave him. And I begged your disciples to cast him out, but they could not. And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. And while he was coming, the demon threw him to the ground and convulsed him. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. Luke 9, 37 through 43. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. (laughs) <laughs> so awesome. Um, they've already started my timer, so I'm, I'm three minutes. I've lost three minutes already. I haven't even said hello. And I don't know what they're trying to say to me, but I got some stuff I want to say. Well, good morning again, everyone. My name is Jeff. I'm one of the leaders here at the church, and I, I want to do our Bible study time. And we're going to spend some time in that passage. And I just have some things to say. And I will say this, not to over-spiritualize what, about, what is about to happen, but I believe, I believe this seriously, that God is going to teach us something today. He's going to teach us a few things, and then we can then take that knowledge that we have gained and use it to step into a new way of living or a different way of thinking. Who's ready for that? Yes? Yes, we are. Okay. So we know this. Children are a gift from the Lord. Say amen. Amen. This is at least what the psalmist tells us. Psalm 127, 3 says, children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from him. But I would argue that this need not be in scripture. It doesn't need to be in the Holy Scriptures to make it true. See, when we worship God, the creator of all that exists, we recall how he chose to come into the world that he had made in the form of one of his great creatures, a human child. Jesus, the son of God, became a man. Yes, but before he learned to shave and drive a manual transmission, anyone, he was a baby who became a toddler became a child, and so on. And outside of the the narrative of Jesus' nativity, we don't read much about his childhood at all in the scriptures. And so we get to color in between the lines. We get to imagine Jesus doing childish things like we did when we were children. But unfortunately for many of us grownups in the room, we struggle to remember what it was actually like to be a child. For many, and for some, it was a real, real long time ago. But for others, it's just been a long time. Right? Those are jokes. Anyway, so it's, but it seems as if the winds of time have sort of eroded most of the memories. And yet, we might all agree, if you think about childhood, and if you remember what it was like, it is quickly, we quickly remember how imaginative children are. Paul J. Pastor writes, 
The natural state of children is one of nearly total imagination. Adults never quite recapture the innocent ease, the way these children effortlessly paint their world in imagination. For children, Pastor continues, anything can become anything, and it frequently does. If adults live like this, we'd call them mad or artists or prophets and seek them treatment and give them little colored pills. But if children do it, we call them clever or cute or brilliant and seek them new playthings and give them colored crayons instead, end quote. Does the psalmist tell us children are a gift from God simply because without them to carry on humanity, the world would cease? And surely there is that aspect of having children. It perpetuates humanity. But I think there's another reason. And it's not just that they bring us a sense of wonder and awe, which children can do. With no children to tirelessly ask the questions, why does the moon sometimes turn red? Why do leaves fall from the trees before winter? How does an acorn become a giant oak? Why is the sky blue? Why do turtles have shells? Or why do carrots taste better after you cook them? Anyone? <laughs> Raw carrots are gross. I'm going to say it. <laughs> Thus saith the Lord. <laughs> I have the mic. I can say things like this. Without children, you know, there wouldn't be many of us asking those silly questions. In life, there is a wonderment and an awe that comes from children. And so, this is partly why the saying, children are a gift from God, it is a true statement. And there are many other reasons, too. Consider this one not only do children help us keep our imagination and our wonderment and our world, but they also show us our need to depend on God when things um, are difficult. So, we look at children who depend on their caregivers. And they need someone to care for them, typically parents or grandparents or family or the church even. But when we look to them and their dependence on someone else, then it reminds us, it should remind us rather, that we too are dependent upon someone to care for us. And his name is God, yes? Yes. And we see that in the lives of children. And children can also be God's instrument of working patience and selflessness into us. If you've never considered yourself the least bit selfish, you should spend a weekend with a four-year-old who has recently stopped napping. <laughs> you, you do not own your time with that. Whatever plans you had for a quiet weekend could change in an instant, and you soon realize that you are, in fact, not the center of everything. The way of Christ is not a selfish and a narcissistic one. Children... Remind us of that. And we could all agree that prayer is a crucial aspect of our spiritual formation. Would you agree with that? Yes, we agree. We should be people who pray and a conduit to deeper relationships with God. And so the gift God gives us in our children is that they are also a catalyst for prayer, for a deeper prayer life. Parents know this to be true. And parents with adult children would, would attest that their prayers for their children do not cease once they move out of the house or get married or take a job out of the city. Parents pray for their children. They're a gift from the Lord, and it draws us to him. We need him to intervene in their lives sometimes. And we learn through our children that we cannot do this on our own, nor does God want us to, yes? And so we all agree children are a gift given to us to experience God's creation in the way that he intended us to experience it. 
innocent, full of imagination, dependent upon God and transformational. Children are a lens through which we peer into the goodness and the greatness of our God. But if that lens becomes cracked or distorted, we lose this clarity in our vision of him. Which brings us to the story that we're reading here in Luke chapter 9. In this story, Luke tells us that a father has brought his child to Jesus. And he does so in a, what appears to be a moment of desperation. His poor son, his child, his only child, I think another gospel writer tells us, is being tormented by a demon. And this has shattered the poor boy's life, and I suspect the family as well. Matthew's account of the story tells us that the boy is often thrown into a fire or thrown into water as the spirit inside of him tries to kill the boy. And throughout the day, he has seizures. He can't speak. He can only cry out in terror. Mark also tells us that the child oftentimes will foam at the mouth, grind his teeth, and become catatonic, almost dead-like, laying on the ground. This child is in a terrible condition. But there's more to the story that Luke wants us to see. This child in this story is a picture of the distortion of what creation was supposed to look like. Here we learn that the devil and his demons are trying to obscure the image of God in this child and the way things are supposed to be. The goodness and the greatness of God and his, and his um, creation are being attacked. And this is what the devil does. That he distorts and he warps the world so that we cannot see what it's supposed to look like. The devil, you might recall, began his work in the Garden of Eden when he presented Adam and Eve another viewpoint of God's creation. He argued that they, Adam and Eve, would be better off without God and, pros and proposed to them a way of independence, the way of rebellion. And their sinful response to the devil's testing them and pulling them resulted in waves of destruction sweeping across all of God's creation. Death now raised its scepter and rightly claimed the kingdom of God. But the uncreated one, the author of life, cannot be destroyed, say amen, and declared one day that death will meet its end. And the ancient words prophesied through the seed of a woman, which is just a biblical poetic way to say this, through a child, God will take back his kingdom from the devil. I oftentimes quiz the church here. I'm just telling you right now, the answer is Jesus. It's always, if I ever ask you a question from the stage, and say, hey, what do you guys think? The answer is Jesus. Who do you think that promised child is from the Old Testament <laughs> book of Genesis chapter three, when God promised the seed of a woman would one day come? Who do you think that is? It's not a trick. The answer is Jesus. So it should make sense to us when we're reading Luke's story, this father had no other help for the child but to bring him to Jesus. But when the, the father comes to where Jesus was, if you've been following the story, the narrative in Luke chapter 9, 
Jesus was not there. Jesus was in fact gone. He had gone up the mountain, had taken three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John with him. And while he was up on that mountain, he was transfigured. We studied this last week, you know, his face shone bright, his clothes were shining bright. The voice from heaven comes, says, this is my beloved son, listen to him. It's just an amazing moment. But know this, at the bottom of the mountain, there's a father with a tormented son looking for Jesus because he needs help and he couldn't find him. So the father brought his son to the disciples, the ones left behind. You ever feel left behind? And he comes to the disciples, the ones left behind, and asks them. After all, they're the learned ones, the one the master had been teaching the way of restoration and healing. In fact, we look back at the beginning of chapter 9, chapter 9, verse 1, it says this, that he, Jesus, called his 12 disciples together, and he gave them what? He gave them power and authority over all demons and power and authority to cure disease. Verse two, then he says, he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And they did. This is what the disciples did. They were emissaries sent out by the king, carrying the flags of God's kingdom and claiming it back one deliverance and one healing at a time. And they were wildly successful at this, casting out many demons and healing many who were sick. You can read Matthew or Mark rather chapter six and learn all about that. But not here. Not in this part of the story. Verse 40, it says that the father came and he begged the disciples to cast out the demon, but the demon in this child would not leave. The demon in this child remained and tormented him. The child remained possessed. The question we should be asking is why? This is what Luke wants us to ask because they had been wildly successful. Jesus just sent them out two by two, preaching and proclaiming, proclaiming the kingdom of God, healing and casting out demons. And then this son of a father comes before them and they can't heal him. The question is, why can't they? I think Jesus has an answer in, in that for us. I believe the answer is found in two places. First, let's look at Jesus's response after hearing of the father's complaint. Go with me now to verse 41 of chapter nine. And it says, Jesus answered. And if you want underline anything in your Bible, if you have a Bible, underline this. Oh, faithless and twisted generation. <laughs> How long am I going to bear with you? Why couldn't they heal the young child? It's right there. The first part of it is right there. He says, because they were faithless. Twisted, just so you know, also could be translated crooked. It just means someone who's lost their way on a path. You ever get lost and get turned around? That's what that means. The disciples, for whatever happened between chapter nine, verse one and two, and then Jesus sending them out to nine chapter, chapter Luke nine, verse 41, pardon. I haven't had much coffee this morning. But the, the difference is they had maybe lost their way. Jesus sees it, senses it somehow and calls it out of them. He says, you're faithless. That's what's happened here. So Jesus, we would say, is frustrated. That at least is the feeling that Luke wants us to see in Jesus' address. He's disturbed in this situation and it bothers him to the point that he speaks sharply to the disciples before the gathered crowd. He doesn't pull them into a side room. Hey, dummies. But in front of everyone, he calls them out on what's going on. And we oftentimes tend to think that Jesus only ever got mad at religious people. You guys remember the story of Jesus flipping over the tables at the temple because he's frustrated because they turned his father's house into a place of exploitation instead of a, a refuge for communion and prayer with God. 
And so with a indignation, we fist pump, our, or we pump our fists rather, declaring allegiance with Jesus against the religious people. Pfft, religious people, they're the worst. Right? Sometimes. But we fail to recall this moment right here where the followers of Jesus, they are the ones hindering God and his restorative work. It wasn't the religious people. It was the disciples. And he calls the disciples faithless and twisted. Bible professor Dr. Philip Long agrees, and he writes this, Jesus seems exasperated. He calls them a faithless and twisted generation, and he wonders out loud how long he's going to have to put up with them. <laughs> Long argues that this faithless generation alludes to the wilderness generation from the Exodus story. We'll get there in just a moment. But after the 10 plagues, if you guys know this story from the, from the Hebrew Bible in the Old Testament, after the 10 plagues and the miraculous rescue from Egypt and crossing through the Red Sea, there's the theophany on Mount Sinai where God comes down and speaks to Moses and gives them the, the 10 commandments. Everybody know this, right? This doubting generation is called the wilderness generation because God forced them to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. Why? Primarily because of their lack of faith. So some of you remember the story. God rescues them, saves them, takes them right to the Jordan River. On the other side is the promise. All you need to go, all you need to do is go in and take it. And they were afraid and they wouldn't do it. And because of their lack of faith, God sent them out into the desert to wander for 40 years. Jesus alludes to that generation and says, you guys are acting just like him. It appears that Jesus is comparing his disciples to the wilderness generation who saw God's great miracles, who redeemed his people out of Egypt and preserved them in the wilderness. And yet they constantly rebelled against God and his servant Moses. And we can push this parallel a little bit further. When Moses went up the mountain to see the glory of God, receive those 10 commandments or the law, the people at the bottom of the mountain asked Moses' brother Aaron to build for them an idol to worship. You guys remember this story? When Jesus went up the mountain, was transfigured with Peter, James, and John, those who remained behind were faithless and unable to fulfill their commission and exercise authority over the demons. It sounds like the same story, doesn't it? It's the same story. Luke is drawing the parallel here. And so this desperate father and his suffering child weren't helped. And this frustrated Jesus. Would you agree that Jesus wanted to help? <laughs> Yes. Musician and author Michael Card argues that this actually angered Jesus. He writes that his tired anger comes from the fact that their unbelief had rendered them impotent. Card continues, oddly enough, it is not the demons that seem to be bothering Jesus at the moment, but the unbelief of his own followers. Wow. Think about that for a moment. Jesus is frustrated more with the disciples' unbelief than he is about the work of the devil. And I'd say it's still true today. I would think so. For today, the devil has been defeated, defeated say amen. He truly is no longer a threat to those in Christ. So why do we see the devil still tormenting people today? 
I don't have the answer to that. I've been a pastor for 12 years, been in church leadership for almost 20. I don't know why that still happens, but it does. I just know this. We as Christians, we have authority over Satan and the devil through the power of the Holy Spirit that God, Jesus, has given to us. And just like the disciples were commissioned in Luke chapter 9, verse 1, they were commissioned to go and proclaim the kingdom and to heal. We too, I would argue, have a calling to believe and do likewise. Just nod at me if you're picking up what I'm putting down. So why don't we? <laughs> See you guys next week. <laughs> well, maybe the, the first part of that answer is hidden in that response to Jesus, he calls them faithless. So maybe there's something there. And God will work with us. He loves us. He'll, he'll gingerly take us to the place where he'll expose maybe our lack of faith. How many would agree that if God exposes your lack of faith, it's a good thing? It's a good thing. He's not mad at you, but he'd want you to have more faith. So there's part of it. But there's another part of the answer too. Second part of this answer, we have to look into another gospel account. There are four gospel accounts or biographies of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're reading in Luke. But Mark and Matthew also tell this story. And we look into Mark's ending of this story. Luke doesn't record this, but Mark's does. It says this in Mark chapter 29, that they come, the, the disciples come to Jesus and they ask, they actually want to know, why can't we drive out this demon? And Jesus responds to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but what? Prayer. Prayer. So Jesus said you can't do this casting out without Prayer. Simply, you cannot do it on your own. And if you try to do so, you will fail. The disciples. Now, no one would argue that prayer is one of the primary spiritual practices. We've talked about this. Christians should employ in their lives. Yes, you would agree with this. People should be, uh, Christians should be prayers. Yes? The 16th century reformer, Martin Luther, once said, to be Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. It is necessary. Without prayer, we'd be like people entering an address into like the map app on your phone to a destination you've never been to before and then not listening to the directions to get there. We all desire revival in our lives, yes? Yes, we all want that. We want it for our world, we want it for our families, we want it for ourselves. We want God to do something in our lives. That's the destination of where we want to go, yes? And I would argue that the directions to get to that place is prayer. And we don't employ it enough to find the things that God has for us. Do you believe God has a bigger plan for your life than maybe what you're living in right now. If you agree with me, say, I believe. I believe. I believe, I believe that for you. And I know some of you. I'm like, really, God? You think they can do more? <laughs> yeah, because God can do incredible things through his people who are not faithless and who don't pray. Psychiatrist Dr. Neil Burton says this, it is desire that moves us and gives us direction. 
desires constantly arise within us only to be replaced by yet more desires. And without this continuous stream of desiring, there would be no longer any reason to do anything. Life, he argues, would grind to a halt, as it does for some people who lose the ability to desire. For example, in the acute or the short-term crisis of desire corresponds to boredom. Have you ever just been so bored, I don't want to do anything, and you're just bored, right? Because you have no desire to do something. And in the chronic or long-term, this looks like depression. This looks like you stay in bed. You just can't get out of bed because you can't get motivated to do anything. Okay, you, you checking this out? So all of the desires in our lives could be divided into two categories, major desires and lesser desires. Now, as the name implies, the major ones are more important to us, and we would assume that we would spend more time acting on our major desires. But the opposite, I'm going to argue, is in fact true. For example, those of us who are parents in the room, right, you might say, we might say that, that uh, uh, for our children, our greatest desire is for our children to mature, to be uh, faithful followers of Jesus, and that they would love God and love his people. Yes? <laughs> you guys are scared. I'm like, I don't want to say anything. Yes, the answer is yes. That's what we want for our children. And yet, if we counted the minutes that we give to praying for that reality to come true versus the minutes we use to plan our vacations or house remodeling projects, Pinterest, anyone? Or making reservations for dinner parties, we would immediately see the disparity. C.S. Lewis once wrote, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but rather too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. We are far too easily pleased, he says. We give ourselves to the lesser instead of the greater desires. And then we question why, oh God, do we have such an anemic spiritual experience with you? Fortunately, this, so I, dude, I, I feel what you feel. This feels like a lashing. I know this feeling. Don't lose heart. Don't lose hope. I am not standing up here saying, try harder, do better. I'm up here saying Jesus already did. <laughs> he did it, all of it, and we need his help. Fortunately, one of the great attributes of God is grace. Say it with me now, grace. God's grace works for us when we can't or when we won't work for ourselves. When our faith is in fact weak, God is still strong. And when we choose lesser desires, God does not hold that against us. Look, look here at how Jesus handled this situation in Luke chapter nine. After he berates the disciples, my words, my words, he berates the disciples for the previously mentioned reasons. Verse 41 says this, and then Jesus answered, oh, faithless and twisted generation, how long am I going to be with you? Question mark. Then he says these words, bring your son to me. That even though he's frustrated, even though he saw the lack of faith and the lack of prayer, it does not stop God from moving. 
Why? Because God has grace for us. Verse 42 says, while he, the child, was coming, the demon then threw him to the ground and convulsed him. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and then picked him up and gave him back to his father. Now Jesus deals with the demon and tells it to leave. In a last-ditch effort, the demon tries to destroy the boy. And the other gospel writers say this, the demon finally laid the ch left the child. He left him unmoving and lifeless on the ground as if he was dead. I'm certain everyone in the room thought the boy had died. But Jesus picks him up and gives him back to his father. And it says in verse 43, and this should be our wide-eyed moment, God is so good, verse 43, and all of them were astonished at the majesty of God. Everyone could see that God was doing amazing work through Jesus. Yes, the father was astonished. The crowds were astonished. But maybe more surprised were the failed disciples still in the room. Jesus healed the situation even when their lack of faith couldn't. The same can be true for us. Even when we falter in our faith, God can change our circumstances. And he does so because of his goodness and his grace. And for that, we thank him and are astonished by him. We okay? So I think we see today that oftentimes our faith wavers. It just, it does. And even on our best days, our faith wavers. Oftentimes our prayer life grows stagnant. It just does. I don't fault any of us who have children to be busy, right? You have a business to run. You have laundry to wash and all the things. I understand all of that. I just want to lay before us, God wants a deeper connection with us. And all I'm asking is that the Lord would take my words this morning. And if they're true, the Bible is quick to tell us that um, if you want to deliver someone, or release them out of their shackles, or whatever that's holding them, it says that only truth can do that. Truth, what's the Bible say? Sets the captives, what is it? Free. So I don't, actually, I don't need to give you like a five things to work on this week list. I have five things for you to work on this week. Like, I, I love, I think we should all work on it. I'll meet you Monday, let's start, shall we? I'm telling you, true words, empowered by the Holy Spirit, will set, set you free. So you listen now when you leave and if, and if the Lord is bringing conviction to you about your faith life, about your prayer life, about the, the lesser things in your life that have become greater and vice versa, that you would just respond to God in some way. For the disciples, they stood back and just were amazed at the work that Jesus did. And in that was an invitation to continue to follow him. He did not send them back to fish, collect taxes or do any such thing. They continued to follow him. In their failings, they continued to follow him. I was thinking about, um, I have two daughters. I mentioned earlier, my wife and I married. Stacy, she's beautiful. Uh, 28 years this November, we have two wonderful daughters. They're now adults. And um, I mentioned before I pray for them more now <laughs> than maybe I did when they were six and seven years old. And it's, um, it's a real thing. But there are many times when I realize I didn't pray for them enough. 
And I wonder if there's some parents in the room that feel similarly. And um, if it's okay with you, I'd like to rectify that today. So I always called the Bible study portion of our church like the, like the textbook. And then we have lab, which is the church. We get to like open up and dissect frogs and stuff. It's really fun. So if you don't mind putting on your apron, we're going to do a little lab work. Are you guys okay? You say that. You have no idea what I'm about to do next. You're like, don't you make me do something weird. I, uh, I get it. If you're a parent in the room, would you just stand? <laughs> yeah. And it doesn't have to be little kids. They can be big kids and whatever. And if you... Um, If you'd like, if if you allow me, I'd like to pray for us and I'd like um, to see the Lord do something. If you're an aunt or an uncle in the room, you could stand up. If you're involved with kids at all at any capacity, you can stand up. If If you are a kid, you can stand up. If you're still sitting, I want you all to stand up. That's what I'm trying to say. This is what in my, and back in the day, I grew up by Great Skate. Anybody know what Great Skate was? Come on, somebody. Hey, Usher at the halftime show would bring out the skates? Was that, anyways. Hey, oh, hey, shh, this is church, calm down. But back in my day, we called this an all skate, where everybody comes out onto the, the rink and skates. I just want to pray for us. Would you bow your heads? You can hold out your hands if you want. I don't care, it doesn't matter to me. Lord, The truth of your word has compelled us to come before you and to say, Lord, we failed our children sometimes. That we failed to pray for them. We failed to make them the greater desire and their well-being our greater desire. We busied ourselves with a hundred other things, Lord. And so we ask God, and receive, rather, through your son Jesus, forgiveness. That there is no condemnation for that. That every failing and shortcoming that we've experienced in this world has been absorbed by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross at Calvary. But we pray now, Lord, that you would make those, um, that you'd give us a chance for those missing prayers, Lord. Uh, that we'd be able to have a chance to make them up. And so we pray now, Lord, for the, the children that we have. We ask, God, that we never give up on them. No, no matter how wayward or stingy or selfish they seem, Lord, that we would continue to pray for them. We know the effects of prayer and of faith and that they work in your kingdom. And so, God, we thank you for that. We ask that you would bless our time together, Lord, as we continue to live. Be with us, oh God. Help us to leave here, God, knowing that we're not alone, that we have a powerful God who longs to work in our lives. So help us, God, to walk in renewed faith. God, we know even the smallest faith can ignite miracles, and we believe in that. 
And we pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone says amen. 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 Thanks for joining with us today. We would love to support you and have you be a part of our community. So please check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. There you can ask questions, request prayer, find past messages and podcasts, and even contribute to the growth of the church through online giving. Or you can come see us in person on Sunday mornings in downtown Decatur. We can't wait to see you.